Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, what's going on everybody? Zach Rosenblatt here, NJ.com, live at Care Complex. It's Wednesday, the Eagles practice today in preparation for Sunday's rematch with the Minnesota Vikings, rematch of the NFC Championship game where the Eagles just roundhoused the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some trolling. Eagles fans have been trolling the Vikings since they killed them that game. There'll probably be some Foles skull chants. I mean, how, how excited are you for this game? This has kind of been circled on the calendar since the schedule came out, really. Well, I think it'll either be an affirmation of the rebound that the Eagles intend to have this season, or it'll be an absolute start of a tailspin because the Vikings are a good team. Their record is kind of awful. Uh, They are one, two and one. Um, And really they need to win this game. Both teams really need to win this game. Obviously um, the NFC East is very convoluted just because the Redskins haven't played a fourth game and they have two wins. The Cowboys are two and two, just like the Eagles, but they've actually played a division game and had a division win of those two, two wins. And then, you know, the Giants, it's still early enough that maybe they can come to life. We'll they won't. <laughs> they probably won't. But, you know, this is a game that the Eagles need to win Basically, based on the fact that they're home, and that's what they do, they win at home, they have not won on the road, they also need to win convincingly. A, I don't know if anybody's going to feel a lot better if they win another 19-17 to 17 style game. They where, it need, com- where it comes down to a fourth down stop in the last second again. Right. There needs to be a big trick play. There needs to be just overall efficiency. Carson Wentz has yet to play the Vikings since the, I mean, he didn't play the Vikings in the playoffs. He's a guy that I think needs to make a statement here. You know, he grew up in Vikings territory, Viking fan territory in North Dakota. He's going to probably just kind of said that with an accent back. Yeah, I know. I don't know why, where that (laughs) came from. North Dakota. Um, (laughs) But you know, this is an opportunity for him to really kind of, this is the game of the week for Fox this is the opportunity for him to say, look, I'm back. Rip off the, the jersey and show the Superman uh, emblem on his chest. You, you want Carson Wentz to just rip off his jersey? God. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if he's going to make a statement, you might as well, right? It's, like... <laughs> it's his equivalent of the flea flicker. Um, you know, the Eagles are getting healthier. Alshon Jeffrey's back. Um, I tweeted out video. He made this inc- – like – a lot of people are talking about the 31-yard catch. A lot of people are talking about the 16-yard catch. But he had a 13-yard catch before that touchdown. where Against the Titans, you're talking yeah, about. Against yeah, against the Titans. 
uh, and we'll get more into like the overall matchups and everything later, but Malcolm Butler tried to manhandle him and press him and just out physical him and it didn't work. Uh, Jeffrey is people. Some people have said that Jeffrey doesn't really alter the offense. That's completely factually inaccurate. What he does is he allows Carson Wentz to target a well-covered player. He wasn't able to do that before. Zach Ertz is really good when he's open. He's a guy that when he's contested, isn't necessarily going to make consistent catches. Alshon Jeffrey does. Absolutely. We'll, we'll talk about Alshon a little bit more momentarily. Uh, let's, we're going to get into our eight storylines. We're going to do this every week. We weren't able to last week because our podcast got deleted because we messed up and it there's some there's some technical difficulties mm-hmm. involving breathing and some other things, but yeah, we're so we're running title Eagle Eight. Uh, that's it's pretty lame, but we'll come up with something better at some point. Uh, let, let, we'll get right into it. First one, Darren Sproles, Corey Clement, both missed uh, Week Four against the Titans. Darren Sproles hasn't played since Week One. Both of them were limited. Uh, both of them are day to day currently, and uh, I'm, I'm we're still not really sure what their status is for Sunday. I mean, it's not a good sign that they weren't out there for practice on Wednesday. Right. Um, Darren Sproul suffered his hamstring injury during practice in week two, and then Corey Clement suffered a quad injury. Uh, the next week, I think. The, no, during was week, week two. two. Yeah, because then he was questionable yeah, it was like on week Friday, three, yeah, and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so he, you know, they've both been a little banged up. Obviously, Wendell Smallwood has picked up his production. Josh Adams has flashed. is back in the mix. Uh, I thought he had a pretty decent game against the Titans. That said, though, it would be a huge, huge boost to have Darren Sproles back in this this lineup because of what he can do. He's one of the most, he's one of the elite punt returners of all time. Um, you know, yeah, DeAndre Carter had that 42 yard return, but nothing makes up for what the intangibles and the talent that Sproles has. He's just a proven entity. Also right now, the Eagles hold six wide receivers and five running backs, but they have three safeties Getting Sproles back in the lineup may allow them to alter those numbers a little bit and, and move things around. Um, Clement, obviously, is another guy that has made this offense work at times. Um, and, he, you know, he needs to be able to be in this lineup as well. He's also really good on special teams. Yeah, and, and an underrated part about Sproles, even though he's five foot six, he's he might be, if not their best, one of their best at picking up blitzes oh, and, absolutely. and blocking and I mean, we're going to talk about the offensive line momentarily, but, I mean, the, Carson Wentz has been on the ground too much. He's been rushed too much, mm-hmm. and it helps to have a running back who's savvy, a veteran, and is probably a little bit better at picking up, you know, the the, the things that defenses throw at them better than a Wendell Smallwood or Jay Jai. He's not a great blocker. Uh, I mean, Corey Clement, he, he's probably pretty decent, but he's also banged up. So it, if they can get one or both of them back, then you'll see the running back group all together for the first time this season, actually, because mm-hmm. week one – were they all playing in week one, actually? They did they play did. in week one. Yeah, that was, was the only time. Yeah. But then but then Ajayi, Ajayi didn't play basically until the second half because he was banged up. Right. So it, it was kind of like they weren't all together. And, and then since then, they've it's been like a shuffling of who's healthy and who's not. Jay Ajayi still has a hurt back. That's going to bother him all season. Right. So it, just getting as many of those – because they, they're good when they have a good committee going where multiple guys can do different things. And it's been pretty limited to Smallwood and Ajayi, Ajayi the last two weeks. Uh, another topic that Doug Peterson talked about, it's kind of been looming in the background because you and I have talked quite a bit about our concern about the defensive tackle depth and how maybe Fletcher Cox is playing too much and all that jazz. And 
the reason why it's like that is because Tim Jernigan went and hurt his back in some non-football injury that they haven't really disclosed to us. He had back surgery. I've kind of doubted the whole time that he would play this season. Doug Peterson kind of was non-committal about him playing this season. He'll technically be eligible to come back off the non-football injury list in week seven. They would have to release somebody. But I, I'm not entirely convinced that he plays this season. at this. And even if he does, like I don't know what you're going to get from a guy who hasn't been on the not literally on the practice field since the Super Bowl. Like I, I just don't see a, a scenario where he, he he was inconsistent last year. Anyway, I just don't see a scenario where he helps them. And I'm I'm concerned about that group. I mean, you've you've touched on it in multiple stories on our website. Uh, Destiny Vallejo is not going to cut it. Haloti Nada has shown some stuff, but in 25 snaps, 20 to 25 snaps, which is his highest he can play mm-hmm. at 34 and well past his prime, and they signed him to be the number three guy, like a Bo Allen type, whereas if they had Bo Allen, I think he would be fine starting right now. So, I mean, they got to trade for somebody, or I mean, there's nobody on the free agent market. Yeah, this is a very slim free agent market for defensive linemen. At, at this point in the year in general, if he's a free agent, unless it's Des Bryant, like there's a reason why he's a free agent. Well, there's a reason why and, Des, and Des Bryant. Yeah. But Des Bryant is better than the usual guy who's available sure. this time of the year. Sure, I think – they're going to have to get creative. They brought up Trevon Hester from uh, the practice squad to swap out with Bruce Hector, who I actually thought they really, really yeah, liked. The Mike K. Curse. Yeah, the Mike K. Curse. It's alive Curse and well. Curse with a K. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they have to find – like like you said, Nada showed some stuff against the Titans. I thought he played pretty well. Outside of that, I mean, he and Destiny Vallejo have combined for seven tackles and a sack this season. That's just not going to cut it. Fletcher Cox is playing at an unreal level, but really, I mean, you're going to have to start using Mike Bennett and Brandon Graham more inside because you have no other choice. Because, well, and also Chris Long and Derek Barnett are playing well, so that allows you to kind of do that. I I looked it up today. I think Fletcher Cox is playing like 86% of the snaps. Mm -hmm. Jim Schwartz pointed out is technically less like total snaps, but that, I mean, that the percentage hasn't changed even as they've played more. And I think that would be his highest by, like, almost 10%. He only played, I think, even if not less than 60, then around 60% of the snaps last year. Like, that's a yeah, huge Yeah, he played jump. 81 when they played in a 3-4, but those are different responsibilities. Yeah. It's and a different... That was, like, his most productive year, like, sacks-wise and stuff, which, I mean, maybe he might be part of this, too. Like, he wants to win Defensive Player of the Year. And the reality is you have to play more snaps if you want to get those stats, especially that defensive tackle. But, I mean, I, I just don't see that being a sustain, especially with how... They clearly don't have the same depth they did last year. They don't have mm-hmm. the next man up capability that they did last year. And I, and defensive tackle is, is kind of flown under the radar, but I think that and safety are my two biggest concerns with this team right now, at least now, on the defense. Now, we say that, right, um, but they are one of the best run-stopping teams in the league. Yeah, they continue to be that, yeah. So maybe it's that they value the run-stopping. They want to be the best at something as opposed to being middle of the run at – middle of the rung at, at – pass rusher I, I i don't know but they do need to figure out because you can't just have cox as your only pass rusher from the interior he's gonna i mean come playoff time he'll be exhausted but yeah with that said what's what's your next topic you got for us all right next topic we got uh th- th- this one was your idea the the tight ends and how they match up with the vikings they're gonna play a pretty big right. role this week obviously zach Ertz. i wrote about this week like he's on pace his like pace is ridiculous, and I think he's on pace for almost 200 targets. On pace for well over 100 catches, which would yeah, make him 124. Yeah, which would put him well ahead of the record in Eagles history, which is 90 by Brian Westbrook. It's kind of crazy to think they haven't had anyone more than 90, but I guess 
they a like long to time. Just, just like the, the, the way the way they've run the, Andy Reid for the longest time. West Coast offense, you spread the ball. Mm-hmm. They didn't have great receivers. Tight ends were okay. They weren't amazing. Right. Uh, but I mean, he has doesn't have any touchdowns. But I mean, the, the reality is that if they're scoring, it doesn't necessarily need to be him. Like Alshon Correct. Jeffrey can be a good. Re- I don't think that's as big of an issue as you would think. But anyway, the point being, Zach Ertz is being targeted a lot. Dallas Goddard went back to kind of his workload that he had from previously against the Titans, only played 20-something snaps, only targeted twice. I personally would like to see that go up. I, I just think he brings something to this offense that, especially when they're when Jordan Matthews is already your clear-cut third receiver, all respect to him, he's been better than I expected, but he's still, there's a reason why he was a free agent, as we mentioned. Like, Dallas Goddard should be getting targeted more than Jordan Matthews, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. And here's the thing. The Vikings have given up 17 plays of over 17 uh, catches of over 20 yards and five catches of over 40 yards. Part of that is teams are finding ways to match up wide receivers and really athletic tight ends against Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks, the linebackers. Now, Doug Peterson went out of his way to compliment both of them. To me, that's a tip that he's been paying attention to those linebackers. You can create a lot of mismatches against linebackers with the Eagles offense, even with the injuries. I think Nelson Aguilar, you, if you can get him on a linebacker. Sproles. If you, Sproles. If you can, but the ultimate mismatches are going to be Dallas Goddard and, and Zach Ertz because they're both basically big wide receivers. They can run. And so I think Goddard, this is a good game for Goddard. Like this is This is a game where he can play a little bit like he did against the Colts. Kendricks, Kendricks is a really good linebacker. Anthony Barr has been disappointing this year, but they are giving up big plays. Harrison Smith has not play, has played well, but not as well as he typically does. It's kind of weird that they're deep. Like they gave up forty points to the Bills. Like yeah, I mean, well, and you also look at the the corners. Trey, they have big bigger corners. So Trey Waynes and um, Xavier Rhodes. Xavier Rhodes the better of the two. Uh, Peterson predict, predicted that Rhodes would match up one on one with Jeffrey. I think that. Um, Nelson Aguilar could have a really big game against Trey Waynes. I also think this is an opportunity. I've said it every week, but Shelton Gibson, a deep threat. I don't just get have it. him go in there and run a nine route. I don't like, get it. Just, it. It just like, okay, cool. Maybe he's not a great blocker. Maybe he doesn't run the greatest route. Give him but five. Pl- give him five plays a game. You like. can run. It, it, every wide receiver can run a nine route. It, it doesn't like, or for for those at a go route like just run straight line down like who, the field who's their deep threat right now they don't have one they don't they don't have they, a they don't have a speed a speedy speed burner guy that's what mike wallace is supposed to be and they didn't replace him i mean him. if you look at the way jordan matthews just ran yeah, by yeah. that corner uh that 56-yard <laughs> touchdown you'd think he'd be the that speed ain't guy. happening again <laughs> but you know they have big bodies that can go up against the bigger corners the bigger safeties i just think the eagles can attack a lot downfield. I think they've been holding. They've they've been a little vanilla, but I think right now is the time where you ha- get, you use Goddard, you use Sheldon Gibson, you use all your toys that you have in your toy chest. Yeah, I mean, I guess this this can tie into Alshon. We I mean we touched on him a bit already. We don't need to talk about him too much more. I think we've driven the point home how big of an impact he makes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Carson Wentz even talked about it today. Like he just has a factor. Like that touchdown, it was third. It was third and goal. But they they were 15 yards out, mm-hmm. like that. That's not an easy situation to be in. And he felt confident enough that he could throw it up to Alshon, who had two defenders basically on him, and he 
like box them out like a basketball play and that nobody else on this team and there's a few guys in the league who are as good at boxing guys out in the red zone and I you're going to see that against the Vikings. They're going to target him quite a bit, I and, think. And if you have all 22, or if you have Game Pass and you can watch all 22, watch the throw again. It looked great. Like, the placement looked great live on film. I mean, like, it is literally a perfect throw. Like the exact spot. Yeah, the exact be, yeah. spot. Where you, and the timing was perfect by Jeffrey with the catch. So they obviously still have chemistry despite not being able to work together a lot during the offseason. So I think that that's a positive sign. All right, yeah, and let's stick with the offense for now. Uh, one of the bigger topics in terms of when we've spoken to the coaches this week has been kind of about the the play calling and how kind of the balance of power and, and calling those plays is maybe we're not in, we're not behind the scenes. We don't know, but it feels like it's a little bit different than last year when Frank Reich and John DeFilippo were working with Doug Peterson as opposed to Mike Rowe and Press Taylor. And the the, the biggest thing that jumps to mind is towards the end of the first half. Uh, against the Titans when they decided to run the ball on third down when they were in Titans territory, and so they had to call a timeout and kick a field goal as opposed to just going for the end zone, which is something they wouldn't have done last year. And just in in my head, I was just thinking, like, does Frank Reich not let Doug Peterson do that, but he's like, does he tell Doug, like, hey, you don't do that. And Doug just trusted Frank Reich to the point where, like, I think he would listen to him if he did that. I don't know if Frank Mike Rowe was in the coaching room last year, but I'm not sure – what their relationship like is to this point. And Grove was pretty defensive when we were talking to him about it this week, too. I mean, what, what's kind of your takeaway on that? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to jump. Har- it's hard to make a uh, Yeah, you don't want to jo- jump to conclusions. But there's something different. I mean, I would say that Grove was pretty standoffish during that press conference uh, and not reading too much into that. But I think he knows that there's a lot of criticism for that play call. I think he knows that there's a lot of criticism – for the red zone struggles, he's probably pretty frustrated. Settling for field goals is not their forte. Well, and they also got away from or running MO. outside zone. To there were there were a lot of didn't things run the that, ball a lot. Yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff that you you're not necessarily seeing from a Doug Peterson offense at its best. And so I think part of that is the the switch between quarterbacks because you got both guys can't don't do the same things. I think you know there's a lot of personnel at stake. If this continues to happen though and we continue continue to see these hiccups and these uh, you know timid play calls, then you do have conservative. to wonder. Yeah. No, I see I think conservative means that you're doing it in a way where you're trying not to lose the game. I think timid is more of, hey, you don't trust a certain area of your of your team, and you're you're trying to uh, counterbalance that with a play that won't hurt or help you. Yeah, I mean, the reality is what it comes down to is Doug Peterson is making the calls. So, and if we're criticizing somebody for the play calling, it should be Doug Peterson. Absolutely. But we're, I think my. I'm just wondering, like, what how the dynamic has what changed, and and how much influence Grow actually has on what they call. I think it's a fair question. Yeah, and all right, unless let's... you ask my Grow, because my Grow <laughs> would just probably no answer you. Another interesting topic, like, so I so I polled Eagles fans on Twitter uh, this week. I asked them what their three biggest concerns were, and pretty unanimously, the top two were offensive line and secondary, and the third one, Jim Schwartz, got the most votes. And the Jim Man, Schwartz they have is, turned. Yeah, I know. It's funny. Like a week ago, they would have hired him as head coach. But that kind of ties in this next point. I think we should talk about the secondary right now, um, especially safety. So they, they still only have three safeties. And just hearing Jim – well, 
Yeah. They might have four now because it sounds like yeah, they, they, they consider, consider – think It sounds like they're going all in on him being the guy. Until, Which makes sense to me. Until Howie Roseman uh, makes a trade, if he makes a trade. I mean, I, I get it. He has the talent. I think he'll eventually be good, but I'm not sure if he's ready to take on that role. And pretty clearly, Corey Graham has no business being a full-time starter. You watched more of the tape than I did uh, since since Sunday, but yeah, I, I'm still I'm still I'm, I'm I've I've liked on Vontae Maddox's potential. He's a little small. I think he's going to be good. This will be good for him getting thrown into the fire, but he's going to go through his lumps. And as we saw, like. Jalen Mills, the way they play at cornerback, they need that that deep safety to be there to, to fix their mistakes. And I'm not sure if you want to trust a fourth round rookie who's five foot nine and has never really st- played more than 20 snaps in a game at, when the Eagles need to win some games. I mean, I, it's not like they have a better option right now, and there's not great free agents as we mentioned. So unless they trade for somebody, I don't know who would be available at this. Like, it, it just they just have to go with what they have, of course. But I'm I'm concerned quite a bit actually. You know, it's funny. Um... Avante Maddox is kind of in the situation that Jordan Poyer was in when they drafted him in the, during the Former chip seventh round. rounder, yeah. Yeah, um, and then he went on to have a really great career in Cleveland and now in Buffalo. You know, maybe it's that they want by the bye week for Maddox to take over for Graham. Maybe that's the long-term projection. I mean, he is the fifth corner. It's kind of what Jim Schwartz implied. Right, he's the fifth corner already, and he only really play, can play nickel. I'm not putting him on the outside at all just with his size, and you've got Russell Douglas who can play all three cornerback spots if they really need him to. So, yeah, I think you look at Maddox and you say to yourself, well, you know, if he can carve out a role as that third safety and then eventually take over at free safety, you're in a really good spot. Also consider this, they're going to have some cap issues next year if he develops – Maybe, you know, you move on from Rodney McLeod and you do yeah. that, that thing. So maybe that's the thought process, too. I also think that this team values edge rushers over corners and safeties. So with that said, you know, the replacement issue might not be as big of a red flag or for, an alarm. From their perspective. From their least. perspective. And I'm doing flashing lights yeah. with my hand. I don't know <laughs> you why. You guys can't see that? <laughs> yeah. If you hear, like, hands opening and closing, that's what I'm doing. Um, I think... I don't think it's a terrible idea. I think it's a terrible idea if he falters this game, and so does Corey Graham, and you don't do anything. Because really, right now, on a Wednesday, you're not going to trade for a safety and immediately put him out there. Yeah. And then you also have Thursday. Yeah, it's, it's, football. Short, it's a short week. Yeah. Maybe so the th- if they were going to get a guy, they would have had to have gotten him already. Right. So maybe the thought process is we get through this get the, and, then, and see where they're at. Yeah. And then you get to week seven with Carolina and then, maybe you add a guy. Yeah. Because the trade deadline is week eight, right? Yes, I believe so. And then they're heading to London. Um, so, and then bye week. Right. So, I mean, that, those, that would be a good stretch to teach a new guy the system or whatever. Correct. Hypothetically. So I think, you know, you, you get those three weeks with him, whatever. And Can then, we just solve how he's planned? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, Earl Thomas certainly didn't. Uh, oh. So so with that said, though, I think the Eagles didn't make a bad decision. I know they're getting flack for putting a rookie out there who's never done it. Here's my beef. They keep saying that we don't like to Where's move. Where's the beef? They keep <laughs> saying we don't like to move guys midseason. You are taking the least experienced guy you have in the secondary and moving him mid- midseason. So – to me, I'm very fr- frustrated from like a from a journalistic standpoint because I feel like I'm being told one thing and they're doing the other. But from from a fan perspective, 
from a fan perspective, I can understand the frustration because everybody wants Jalen Mills at safety. People want Rasul Douglas at safety. People want Rasul Douglas starting a corner and and or, or Sidney Jones starting on the outside and Mills moved into nickel. But, but. The Eagles keep saying, we don't like to move guys midseason. We don't like to switch guys around. Well, I got to tell you something. Avante Maddox, if he's playing that third safety role, Graham goes down or Graham's just unplayable. You only have one depth corner. And you can have two cornerback injuries in a game. There is a lot of moving parts. You keep saying you're going to cross-train these guys. That's terrific. Wonderful. Happy bar mitzvah. But <laughs> you, you can't just say, hey, we're going to... Rasul's important, but we're never going to play him, and he doesn't need to play safety, so there. And then you you put Avante Maddox out there. If you don't want to play Rasul Douglas, shop him. I mean, do so. Like, I mean, what are you doing? If you don't think he can play corner consistently enough to get on the field or that he's better than Jalen Mills, look into what he can do at safety. You know, maybe move Malcolm Jenkins to free safety and have Rasul play strong safety if you don't think his his – coverage is that great but every time that kid's on the field he makes plays he led the country he was tied for the lead in interceptions as a senior at west virginia he comes into the game on in week one creates an intercept produces an interception in two snaps like at some point you have to just say yeah i know he, he he's a risk maybe for for like deep balls or maybe he's a risk for this so is jalen mills like so what what are you tr- what I understand the respect level. Mills, Mills is a great tackler. Mills is tough. He's got a great attitude. Uh, he's able to move on from plays. But when you look at Rasul Douglas, he has way more upside and athleticism, in my opinion. Yeah, it's the thing that's been one of the most confounding decisions, not non-decisions, I guess. That them not they don't seem him. to be. I wrote today. They don't seem like they're in a rush to play him at all, which makes no sense because he's a third round pick. Like how, how? What better way to develop a guy than to put him on the field right. when another guy's struggling? You've got nothing to lose. You got Corey Graham out there who has no upside. Who was supposed to be out there to be a veteran presence and supposed to be able to know what he's doing out there. And the guy lines up. With all due respect to him, he he was great after the game and took blame and and answered every question. But he's lining up ten yards deep. When it's fourth and fifteen, what? Like I'm just telling you, the, the mental errors couldn't get worse. The lack of upside couldn't get worse. One one thing I will say: a lot of people have been going after the defense for that loss, and the defense lost it for them in overtime and in parts of regulation. But I also think the offense settling for field goals, mm-hmm. the way they ended at the first half, like they were in the position that they were on defense because of the way the offense struggled. And I feel like it's Correct. important to point that out. Like the play calling, it wasn't Doug Peterson's best performance and they, they made a lot of mistakes on offense, the offensive line. We haven't talked about that yet. Have we? No, let's talk about the offensive line now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was supposed to be, I, I think that was the position that was rated. Like there was one, one national site that said the, the best positions of any in the NFL, like of any position group in the NFL, was the Eagles' offensive line, I believe. It was either that or defensive right. line. When you, but you could have made the case for either one. The point being, they returned all five starters from arguably the most dominant offensive line in the NFL last year. Uh, I mean, J- and that included Jason Peters slash uh, Vitae, mm-hmm. who replaced Peters when he got injured. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm concerned to the point where, like, it's going to be a continuing issue, but this has been not looked great the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure Jason Peters at this stage of his career – can play. Doug Peterson half admitted that right. today, actually, yeah. and 
that's that's a problem. You look at some of the plays, like he's getting he was getting manhandled on some of them. That's just not something that you could ever have said for Jason Peters over the last decade or plus. He's a Hall of Famer. Lane Johnson's getting beat by a rookie in Harold Landry, who's going to be a very good player, but he just beat him around the edge. Which how many times could you even say that in the last couple of years? I mean, J- Jason Kelsey has still been pretty good, but I mean he's made some mistakes himself. Brandon Brooks has been solid. I'm not sure. Wisniewski might be the weak link of this group. Sure. Lane Johnson kind of implied maybe there would be some changes. I don't know if he, that was just Lane Johnson being Lane Johnson and, and saying something because it was whatever popped into his head because that's what he's like. But Carson Wentz, I think I, he was been sacked eight or nine times in two weeks, and I think he's been hit like close to 20 times or something well, like yeah, that. Yeah, he was hit 11 times and had four like, sacks like that, against the Titans. That just can't happen. Like that's not only is that a disappointment for the offensive line, that's just like that's like worse – one of the worst units in the NFL level bad. So I'll get into Doug Peterson talk, but it's accurate. It's not always all the offensive line. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Quarterback hits. But, uh, I mean, they're a big part of that, obviously. Yeah, I think Carson's held on the ball a little bit longer yeah. than he should at times. I think when Wendell Smallwood struggled a little bit, and, and so did Corey Clement for that That's matter. What they, well, the fact that like they need all the help they can get, because mm-hmm. in part because the offensive line just might not be the same as it was last year. I don't think Josh Perkins is that great of a blocker. No. I think I mean, Goddard, if Goddard's your best tight end blocker as a rookie, it's not a great right. sign. It, it, there, there's a lot of factors that are guys aren't uh, getting uh, open. Underrated guy they're missing is your boy Brent Selleck. Yeah, well, yeah, he is my guy. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't know it, but he is. Um, <laughs> that's a problem. I mean, like, that's what I, I've always been kind of – kind of preaching is that like yeah that offensive line's terrific but we're getting a presidential alert on our phones which i'm sure everybody else oh, got wow. on their iphone the first right one now. right the first one this it, is a test of, of the, the national, national wireless emergency so trump just interrupted our podcast i mean <laughs> it does it, it is it an injury update on darren scrolls uh <laughs> so yeah it, look there's a lot of factors that play into the hits they need to stop um they need to work on blocking Carson needs to be a little bit more situationally aware. Um, and wide receiver, frankly, wide receivers need to get open. Um, you know, he's holding on to the ball because guys aren't open. The throw that – I wanted to bring this up before we move on. There were, there was a throw to Jordan Matthews that went like 20 feet yeah. in front of him that a lot of people brought up. They settled for a field goal. I watched that play. on. I watched the coach's tape on that. There was absolutely no one open. Like, no one. And so Carson had, yeah, so Carson had to throw, and that's happened several times. There's also been times where Carson's missed Zach Ertz or Dallas Goddard being wide open. He's missed Alshon Jeffrey being, he even missed Alshon Jeffrey at times in this Titans game. So I think overall, this Eagles team just needs to play better on offense. All right, we've been accused of being too negative in the past. I don't don't think that's true, but let's, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's each say a bright spot from these first four weeks slash last week, maybe something that hasn't been talked about as much. I'll go first. I think Michael Bennett has been somebody who, in the moment, he gets he gets a lot of hype on Twitter, and then it, it kind of happens earlier in the game, and then as the game goes along, he's not quite as dominant. But he had a stretch against the Titans. We talked about this on our postgame pod, where I think he had like three or four uh, pressures, including one sack over the course of three or four plays. Like yeah. he, he, he just clearly like still got it, and... I, every time I see him do something, I'm just like, man, they got him for a fifth-round pick. And Marcus Johnson, like, he's he's just – they are better at defensive end this year, and that's kind of crazy considering how good they were last year at the position. So I'll go to the other side of the defensive end group, and I'll say Chris Long. I, I think Chris Long looks better than he did last year. 
He's quick off the edge. He's constantly forcing pressure. He allows this team to move Mike Bennett inside or Brendan Graham. Um, you know, I think he's been a really strong bright spot. I would also include Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks has played very, very well coming off his injury. Um, and I think I think he's a guy that who's playing in a contract year, who's in a weird spot because he has so much injury history. Um and it hasn't affected his play. I, you know, I think he's playing very, very well. And just to throw one more into the mix, who weirdly isn't talked about probably as much as he should be, I would say is Malcolm Jenkins. Oh my gosh! Uh, he he has he's made some game. like he has Ugh. he has made some like errors in coverage and stuff like that, but like that's gonna happen. He's just he just makes plays, man. Especially when they need him. Like some of the tackles he was making late in that game, they were just. I feel like I'm about to sneeze, and then it went away. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I just. He continues to be amazing. He's like just clear. I feel like people just continue to underrate how important he is to this team. He might be at worst the fourth best player on this team. I would. I would at probably, worst, yeah. At worst, I would go Fletcher Carson. I would go Fletcher Carson Lane and then him. And, and based on performance this season, probably Malcolm ahead of Lane, right? Yes. Yeah. But yeah, you talked about it, but I gotta gush about this guy a little bit more. The plays that he was making. He was making linebacker plays at safety. He was making corner plays at safety. Like, this guy is one of the most versatile players in the league, and it's he's not he's in his tenth season. Like, you shouldn't be able to do the things that he does in this defense. You know, people talk a lot about Brian Dawkins, and he's probably the best modern day player of his generation for the Eagles. But Malcolm Jenkins does a lot of the stuff that he does. Um, from a leadership and an on-field perspective. And I think, you know, he was a guy that a lot of people didn't want when they signed him. They wanted I mean, I mean, Jarius Bird. I mean, the Saints were trying to they, – they, did they release him or did they just – No, he was a free agent. Well, but at but that point, people were, any... pretty, people were pretty down on him at that point. Though. Right, they signed Jarius Bird instead of him, and he came here. I mean, there was some criticism for even, like, signing him because he was right. pretty, he, he was on a downswing. And, I mean, he he's had one of the best five game uh, five sorry five season stretches of any Eagles defensive player. The I can funny remember. thing is, he probably will never get the credit he deserves for it because he doesn't put up the numbers. Like he puts up solid tackle numbers, okay interception numbers. He doesn't really like get those numbers that you normally would, but he creates those opportunities right. for everybody else. I, I think he's a guy that you know we talked about Avante Maddox, we talked about Jalen Mills, we talked. He's a guy that you can put out there and trust lesser talent around him because he does so many good things and plays so well. I mean, of their two safeties, if they had lost him, they'd be in a lot more trouble than Oh, McLeod, yeah, so. we're, we're hearing all these sob stories about <laughs> Rodney McLeod. Malcolm Jenkins makes this entire defense work. So, you know, there's that. Yeah. All right. That right. We'll end on that note. We did our Eagle 8. We're going to get that going every week now. Uh our next pod will be our preview pod and then our post game pod, which everybody seems to love those ones. Either love to hate or hate to love. I don't know. <laughs> hey, that's my brand. <laughs> all right. As always, make sure you subscribe. We're on all the apps, iHeartRadio, YouTube, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud. Write us a review. Ask a question. We'll answer it. Follow us on Twitter. Tweet at us. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening.